Hello and welcome back to another freewheeling podcast. I'm Abby Mickey and I am joined by Amy Jones. Amy, hello. Hello. Lauren Rowney. G'day, g'day, because Grace is not here today. I'm going to put on the real Aussie accent. <laughs> yeah, you got to like really thicken it up, you know, get back to your roots. Well, your roots are South African, so that doesn't work. No. And I was thinking about the other day, we really represent the Commonwealth. We've got Canadian, South African, Aussie, Brit. It's true. It could be a joke. It could be a joke. <laughs> <laughs> a Canadian, a Brit, a South African, and an Australian walking to a bar. Or turn up at a bike race. <laughs> <laughs> Chaos ensues. <laughs> well, I don't know what the punchline is. I don't know either. <laughs> It'll come to me in a while. I'll say it randomly in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> um, we've got a good bit to talk about today. The women's tour happened. The last world tour stage race of the year. Voss is winning again. And uh, we have an answer for why Amanda Spratt was was kind of off the back all year among some other stuff. But before we dive into the news this week, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. You don't need to live within riding or driving distance for exceptional training roads when you have Zwift at your fingertips or your the soles of your feet. Um, <laughs> Zwift's instant access to epic training roads makes finding fun terrain for your next ride effortless. From rolling terrain that forces you to work on short, hard accelerations to big mountains, Zwift has everything you could want in a training road. Personally, I have been loving the variety of the McCurry Islands. There's some awesome little hills that really burn the legs a little bit and then some nice flats to recover and enjoy the scenery. Thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode. Let's dive into it. The women's tour. The women's tour happened or did it? I don't know. If a tree <laughs> falls in the woods and or whatever. Oh, I've done this before. I got the mixed metaphor again. I don't know. The if a tree falls in the, the woods, woods and no one's there to the see shit. it, no, 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 or I hear it, first time, I'm gonna yeah, show up. Something, now. something along those lines. Um, we feel you though, and it is in the afternoon now. Coverage was abysmal. I mean, like you could kind of follow the Twitter, but like I believe that we're at a point in women's cycling where you can no longer get excited about a race following Twitter because we don't like, we don't do that anymore. And we've got so many, we're spoiled with live racing now. I mean, yes, we don't get races from the beginning like we should and like the men's are, but we still get a good amount of live races, uh, throughout the year. So it was hard to get excited about this race, which really bums me out. I mean, we've been talking for years about how much we love this race. And so I was, I was just so disappointed because I couldn't get excited about it writing the race reports was like a nightmare because it was just like following along on Twitter. And then the highlights packages that the race was supposed to have after it was over were non-existent or really short. It was, it was just, I think the race I mean, organizer made some sort of comments during the week because there was criticism about it being a world tour race and not having the coverage. And he said that women's cycling wasn't there yet because obviously he, he quoted how much it would cost and um, this and that. I don't know if you two read that article. I think it was in Cycling Weekly. Um, no, but it sounds like it would have pissed me off. Yeah, <laughs> I should have sent it through. I read it and then I'm like, nah, they would have seen it. But um, I was just thinking, oh, well, you know, all the races that we've been watching in the spring and a bunch of other races throughout the year, we at least had an hour's coverage, <laughs> um, even two points two races and 2.1 races 
um, had coverage. For example, Turrigan in, in Germany had some sort of coverage. So I thought that was a bit of a cop-out from him. Um, I understand that there's, you know, COVID has hit hard with, with uh, to a lot of people, but still it just, yeah, um, like you said, I mean, Abby, if you're blaming it, it sounds like he blamed it on women's cycling. A little yeah, bit. I mean, it's not the same race organizer from back when we raced it. I'm pretty sure not. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't sound like it's the same guy. But, yeah, it was disappointing. And, yeah, echoing what you said, I was basically just reading your race reports. It was like at the end of the day going, oh, who actually won today? And you called it when you said it was going to be very much a sprinter's race and how the time trial would decide the GC. Going back to the the coverage and stuff that I think, like, it's a race that got so much praise before but since it was last run we've now become used to seeing races like because of the mandatory 45 minutes from the UCI which is kind of, you're already kind of saying this Abby but like kind of just shows how much things have moved on since 2019 that like back then we were saying how great that race was and we weren't really thinking about the fact that there was only a highlights package and no live coverage that kind of wasn't even factored in and now like two years later, we're saying like, yeah, it might be a good race, but because we can't see it live, it's just not even worth like, if you can't follow it live, then what's the point kind of thing? Whereas before it was like, this is still a really good race and we were happy to have an hour's delayed highlights or whatever. Yeah, clearly like the coverage and and women's cycling has progressed so much in two years. It's kind of crazy. This is a really, really good example of how much we've come in two years. And honestly, I don't think we should settle. accept, yeah, accept or settle a race that is world tour not having any live coverage. Well, and he also went on to say that next year there won't be um, because he doesn't not he doesn't see he didn't say he didn't see the value in it but i think just in terms of the investment and then actually all the comments were pretty much um because he was talking about the whole money aspect of having live coverage and then people turned around and said well yeah if you can't watch it and you if if you don't put it on television then how are you going to attract sponsors and money yeah seriously like that doesn't make any that doesn't make any sense at all so, doesn't this. see the value in it. That's like the only thing that makes a race valuable. <laughs> exactly. So I don't think we can expect um, live coverage from from this race until 2023. I think we need to go. I need to go back to the article, but um, it is a Cycling Weekly article, and he said that they would probably they've got a deal to do highlight packages with one of the TV stations, and that's it, or something. I mean, what this means to me, what it looks like is that we're just going to lose the only British World Tour race that's left because isn't Yorkshire canceled? I mean, Yorkshire's a goner. Yeah, so we're just losing a World Tour race on another continent. And I mean, the Brits, the Brits are mad about (laughs) cycling now. And that race, the, the one thing we loved about it was the fan base it attracted like people really yeah. come out to watch this race the school kids on the street it's um it's a really nice race and it's very well run but yeah i mean the game is lifted since 2019 and if you can't step up or keep up then 
yeah. I think you'd lose your world to a license. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just like the concentration of the world tour racing is just in Europe. There's nothing without the tour of California. There's nothing in the U S without Cadell's there's nothing in Australia. And then now without this, there'd be nothing, nothing in the UK and everything's, I mean, we still have, you know, a couple races in China, but those haven't happened in two years now either. So it's, it's a bummer because there is an important aspect to the growth of the sport, especially when it comes to reaching new places that there needs, the races need to be spread out like this. And coming from someone who's not from Europe, like the races that were outside of Europe were always my favorite. <laughs> there was a so, good, a good amount of races in the U S like, there used to be nine yeah. years ago, yeah, eight, seven years ago. There was still, you know, you had Philly and everything. But we can go on and on about that. Well, we should we should talk about the actual women's tour and what happened. Uh, so just quick running through the stages. The first stage was won by Marta Bastianelli, but the kind of story of the day was this horrible crash with one kilometer to go, where this rider was going kind of straight into a median and the peloton split and she looked like she couldn't make up her mind uh if she wanted to go left or right and then she just last split second went right and either her wheel hit something or she was going too fast she just like her bike literally just like went out from under her and she just took out the entire right side of the peloton like basically did like a like a sweep under all of their wheels Wait, so this, um, that was stage one with Evita Music. That was the first. I, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Was that it? was like that was that was the crash that Hannah and Alice Barnes were both in because they were, or that was. Oh, maybe it was later in the race that was this crash. Actually, because I, was gonna, that was I thought that one was on the the last stage because I saw Ella Harris put it on her Instagram. And I, to be honest, I'm going to say mm, this right now right. is that I watched that happen and I was like, I can't even defend that. There's like nothing I can say. Oh, but see, I don't know which stage it was because there was no live coverage, so I didn't. Oh uh, yeah, no <laughs> what happened it's on all any of the into one. But yeah, no this this crash was like nuts. That that crash was insane. It was like, what are you thinking to the rider? The rider that was in blue, and then like the all, the whole re- right side of the peloton, like those poor girls just got oh, completely. The stage demolished. one was the roundabout where Allison mm. Jackson was involved. Mm-hmm. got a black eye I think which way one. which crash is it that um Tanya Irath she's oh, I said the last name probably that was wrong. later on that was one of the yeah. other many crashes during the race. yeah there was a lot of crashes <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's because yeah. they're on the left side of the road let's give them the benefit of the doubt I'm just well the, the crash so the crash on stage one was like they both went either sides of the roundabout and then like came into each other faster than they went into the roundabout so they like collided basically um but it it really impacted the sprint so it's kind of it kind of ended up being like a small group that went into the sprint together not small but just reduced peloton so marta bastianelli won that one the second stage was uh beautiful beautiful weather horrendous (laughs) rain and wind and chaos um, and that was the circuit. <laughs> yeah, it was bound to happen in October in the UK. Come on. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was the circuit stage. And it sounded like it was a very, very aggressive day. Um, and the 
break that ended up winning the stage only went on the final lap of the climb. Um, and it was a small group and Amy Peters won out of that one. The third stage, the very, very first time trial in the women's tour, won by Demi Vollering, uh, smashed by Demi Vollering. Holy moly. She won by over a minute. And basically, she won the whole race that day. Didn't have to do anything. The whole race just <laughs> completely destroyed the time trial. Over that um, distance, that's what's so impressive, right? Like, it was she mm-hmm. rode it in 23 minutes or something. So to have a minute on Jos Loudon, who just broke the hour record, which is a very different perceived effort, still I was blown away. Obviously, Demi has come into some form again. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... She's a good time trialist, but this was like, it's not like she wasn't racing top time trialists. There were still some really, really good time trialists in the, in the Peloton. And she was just head and shoulders above the rest. Um, and it was, it was really impressive. Oh, so. and, uh, big thumbs up to Leah Kirchman for getting on the podium as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, the second, the next two stages, stages four and five, both won by Lorena Weebus. I think we all saw that one coming. Um, but for one of those stages, there was a little bit of conflict that came out of it. And we've talked about this in past episodes before, but multiple riders came out on Twitter after the stage that there is blatant disrespect from some of the younger riders in the Peloton when it comes to, you know, these fast sprint, these fast finishes, but kind of other times as well. I mean, Audrey Corda and Ergo tweeted, I can't remember telling Ina or Georgia Bronzini to F off 10 years ago. Uh, Marta Bastianelli said to promising and unpromising young women, I advise you to show more respect in sprints. Um, These are like veterans of the Peloton (laughs) that are kind of voicing that the, the suspicions we had about disrespect in the Peloton that weren't really suspicions because we know people who have told us, um, came out on Twitter during the race. I yeah, like I mean, Marta Bastinelli's um, promising or unpromising. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's a sick burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My contribution to this anyway. <laughs> No, I think we, we discussed it when, when Gracie was on here and I think she said she didn't know if it was disrespect or just um, lack of leadership within within the peloton now because back in the day of Ina, we always go back to this, but she really was a top dog and really was the queen of the peloton in that era. Um, you know, people looked to Ina for direction in certain situations in races and um, I don't know, maybe it's, uh, I can't say it was because it was in Britain and we have a lot of, I would say, young British riders, correct me if I'm wrong, Amy, that maybe haven't raced in Europe that much and don't know the pecking order or don't know who the riders are, which it would be hard not to if you follow women's cycling. But, yeah, the this is something that I never really experienced my time racing. I don't know about you, Abby, but um, I'm guessing that it's just that there's – I, I I don't know why there's disrespect right now. I mean, there if there was ever disrespect in the U.S. peloton, there was so many riders that would just like, like <laughs> it was did not last very long. Um, but 
I think that has to do with being on home soil and and feeling more comfortable. I don't know. I mean, did we establish if it was like, yeah, I don't think it was ever put out into the world. Cause like my immediate reaction or my immediate like thought was that it was one of the UK teams. Like, I don't know, maybe Mm. maybe, I don't want to get in trouble, (laughs) but like having race in the UK, like people get really gobby. No, they do. There's that like sense of desperation. Yeah. From, from especially from those smaller teams in the UK that don't get to race races of this caliber uh, very often. There is that sense of desperation and maybe it was felt more from the veterans of the Peloton because it's later in the season and they're kind of hoping to check out a little bit and just do some fun racing. Um, but I mean, the, that's what Lauren Kitchen and I spoke about when her experience in the Peloton just at the beginning of this season was just desperation. People just, yeah, to get contracts. And then also that element of if it is the British riders, like they haven't raced that much this year, right? They haven't been able to really come over to Europe. This is the only race on home soil where they can show themselves and, Again, going back to perhaps if they haven't raced in Europe much and they are just used to that UK scene where they sort of whatever, what did you say, gob off at one another? Gobby, like mouthy. like um. Mouthing off at one another is just like sort of accepted, <clears throat> like that's what you do. But, I mean, yeah, you definitely don't. It's a bit of common sense too. If like the whole train of Trek Segafredo is lined up and you've got Chloe Hosking prime for the sprint you don't get in on that train right like even my first year pro in europe i knew not to mess with Kristen wilde like i stayed away from that train not that i was ever in the mix but you just got out of the way pretty much but if there's no one on that team leading those riders who who don't have the experience i'm assuming that's sort of where it's going wrong because it would be brought up in the team meeting for sure I mean, that's definitely something that's, I think, missing on a lot of teams is like a veteran rider who is there to guide younger riders. I I never had that on, on Colavita or on rally uh, cycling. I never had that. Had it on UHC and learned really, really, really quickly not to be a brat, you know. But if teams don't have that, then it's it's really, it's not good. It's not good for the development of young riders at all. I was very respectful and got out of way out of the way of the big teams after about ten k of a race usually. So <laughs> that was very respectful of me. I mean, it, kind of if we like look at the if we look at the peloton right now, like who is there in the peloton that would be who's big dog know, that, that yeah that would be assertive enough and have been around long enough to be respected by these young riders and and also to yell at them because like. I would say if Ellen Van Dyke ever yelled say, at me, I was going to say, but she's, she's so quiet yeah. that she would never like, she's the, she, she has all of the boxes checked in terms of somebody who would be able to fill that role, but she's not, not assertive enough to like do that. So what she's just shy. Trixie. So, was she there? Trixie's gone. She, this was her last race. Yeah. Yeah. She's done. She's Trixie's out. She's not mouthy. I mean, she will say something, but she's not like, 
yeah. Damn. If only I was good enough, I'd be the resident gobshite. <laughs> I mean, you'd assume that there was a couple writers on SD Works that would kind of be able to fill that role, especially if they're in, you know, that jersey. It'd be you'd you'd have to listen to them. Chantal, Amy. Yeah. 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 Myoris, she's been around for a long mm. time. She can be Yeah. Pretty vocal. She can be kind of scary. Yeah. 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 She's <laughs> scary. <gasps> anyway, it was it was yeah, it was kind of the the talking points that came out of, of uh, one of the stages that Webus won was just um, that there is this lack of hierarchy in the Peloton right now that I think is a product of many, many things. <laughs> but the rapid growth of women's cycling is definitely fueling um, the, the desperation and thus the angstiness of the women's Peloton. The final stage... In which the crash that I mentioned earlier uh, that took out the entire right side of the peloton was won by Elisa Balsamo, our new world champion. Way to go. Yeah, super cool. I can't wait to see her race next year. What did I say? Get them, like, um, with the world championship jersey, sometimes they can be a monkey on your back, and she's basically... She's already got rid. She's got rid of the monkey before 2022. Yeah, but she's been world champion before, so she knows how it feels to have that jersey. True, true. Not a rookie. <laughs> all right. So that was kind of the women's tour. We kind of covered covered all of it. I mean, overall, won by Volering, obviously. Um, and Jabe very sprinty race. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, super sprinty. Um, north. Yeah, sadly for them. Mm. Mm-hmm. We made things interesting. But anyway, we couldn't exactly. watch it, so. No. So we really don't know what happened. We're so anything could happen. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I won, actually. Just- it could have been the most exciting race that, that has happened all year, but we'll never know, so. <laughs> uh, on the dirt, Mariana Voss finally Want, got to throw her arms in the air. Uh, Voss, second at the World Championships, second at Paris Roubaix, and went into the Cycle Cross World Cup in Waterloo, just so so on fire, and won that race. I'm ahead lucky. Of, uh, yeah, she. I mean, she looked so stoked. <laughs> I love her I love celebrations. Her. her celebrations are never like just a simple hands in the air with a smile. There's always so much emotion and she's won hundreds of races. Yeah, she's just like, I just love how stoked she gets all the time. And I think this one was extra special because she got to, um, because she had the last two races were a real disappointment for her. I mean, second in two of the biggest races that happened in 2020. I mean, I'm yeah. still so. pretty stoked with that, but I'm not Voss. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting yeah, to see exactly. how much more cross she'll do because she'll mix things up like a bit rather than it being the Lucinda Brand show. I imagine that she's going to take a break at like in the near future. I don't, I imagine she would take a break now and then build back into the world championships, mm-hmm. the cross world. Cha- I don't think she's going to keep going yeah. Uh, right now. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if she Mind holidays you. in the US like she did, I think, a few years ago. Mm. Uh, it's nice. Go get your trip paid for. Have a good race. Win the race. Have a little off yeah. season. 
come back. Well, if it's not her, Yolanda's rocking up to the cross now. So yeah, I'm excited to see that when she gets into the groove of it. I think yeah. Evie Richards. I wonder. I was about to say Evie Richards. I just think she is so fun. She's awesome. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. Uh, I'm really excited to see what she does because she was, I think, the U23 cyclocross champion two years ago or something. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, like three years ago. Three. Mm-hmm. So we'll be interesting to see how she, she sort of shapes up because Lucinda pretty much dominated the season last year. And I think we yeah. could probably – um, maybe yeah, do a bit of. I wonder if that was because uh, the Olympics. Yeah, a little bit. A lot of the people who cross over and do road and mountain bike and like or do road and cross or mountain bike and cross mm. were kind of didn't want to go at the cross season because it was just such a weird time of the year if you're going to peak for July. Yeah, mm. late so- July. <clears throat> so I I wonder if that had anything to do with. I mean, not taking anything away from Lucinda. Like, she's she's incredible. Because she was still racing against women who are 100% cross all the time. Yeah. But there are a handful of those incredible riders that do, you know, two disciplines. And a lot of them, I feel like, sat out the cross season last year. Or just kind of dipped their toes in it, but didn't really like, do a bunch of races. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're onto something there, but it, it will be interesting to see if, um, yeah, the likes of Pauline come back and she lined up to a few, but not really many. Um, and she's been the cyclocross world champion that year that she did the triple where she won all three, which mm-hmm. is insane. Um, so I, I think we're in for a really great season and, pretty convenient that i live in belgium i can go <laughs> good enough for us to actually podcast about it i reckon yes. so after Lauren, the freak- i'm coming i'm coming to belgium to watch a cross race get the freaks oh, ready do it and the waffles mm. and the beer yes all of the above all right moving on I'm hustling us along because we're running out of time. We're going to hustle. We're going to hustle through the rest of this news. All right. So we finally learned why Amanda Spratt has been having such a rough season. She is going to undergo the iliac artery surgery, um, and that has been an issue for her all season. So that's kind of enlightening because we definitely were concerned and also curious about why she wasn't she didn't step into that leadership role that that Annemiek van Vluten left behind Marion Rusa I can't I don't think I'm saying her name right but she ex-professional cyclist um and pretty high up in France she's pretty famous she is taking over the role of director of the Tour de France Femme the route announcement is coming this week So pretty excited about that. We'll talk about that next week on the podcast. And finally, UAE Team Emirates is taking over Ale BTC Ljubljana. Which means they're going to buy up all the top riders, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you would think so based on what they've done on the men's side. I don't know. I don't have much to say about that. There are a lot of the, uh, the female rights issues issues with that yes google equality in the uae and uh yeah if we remember the daughter of the 
oh my god I'm gonna get this wrong now it was so long ago but but yeah there's all kinds of infringements on human rights and women's rights cracking off there so yeah love that not we I love mean, that we don't we want money but not that money in women's cycling all right okay yeah yeah like we we want there to be more top teams because we want there to be more of a battle we want there to be more action we want there to be more possibilities for outcomes of races but this is if if we made a list of men's world tour teams that should not have women's world tour teams attached it would it would be like uae and dakota quickstep <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Bahrain. So, anyway, mm-hmm. that's all we got. That's the podcast. Uh, Lauren's got to go. So, <laughs> <laughs> so bye. <laughs> so bye. <laughs> See you, everyone. <laughs> Till next time. Since this is a little bit of a shorter episode today with Lauren and Amy and I, I am going to throw in this interview with Jose and Anna Kiesenhofer. Uh, Jose wrote a really awesome profile on Anna last month that I'll link in the bio if you want to read it. But here is Jose's chat with the Olympic champion. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, have an interview. You must have had thousands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had many requests, uh, but I learned to say no <laughs> to, to to most of them. Well, it's it's now a month ago. Your life must have been crazy in the past four weeks. Yeah, I mean, now it's calming down a bit. It was especially like the first few days were really crazy. Yeah, because, you know, from one moment to the other, in the morning you were just, Anna Kreisenhofer and in the afternoon you were Olympic champion. How does your mind process that? So uh, at first, actually, the first few days, I didn't even have time to process it because I was so busy with all the media. I didn't have time to think. I was only yeah, telling the story, but I couldn't really think about it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Later, it just happened gradually. I wouldn't say that I kind of sat down and and thought and had a heureka moment. It was just, you just start to accept it kind of. It's just time uh, that does the job. Is it is it something that you are still, is it like one of the proudest moments in your life? Because I also know how hard it is to get a PhD and how much work goes yeah. into that. How, how, how does, how does this rate in your, in your life? This, yeah, for us, monumental achievement. Yeah, for me, I think it has a bigger significance than my PhD. Uh, it was harder, I would say. Um, I mean, you you just count the number of people with a gold medal in the world and the number of people with a PhD. There are much more <laughs> people with a PhD. So I would say it's much easier. And also, I mean, if you want to have a PhD, you're reasonably smart. You're going to get it uh, sooner or later. Or maybe you need six years instead of four, but you you normally you can get a PhD whereas getting an Olympic gold medal you can want it as much as you want but most people will never get one so yeah Olympic gold was definitely harder and and for me yeah it will be uh, certainly at the moment it yeah it is the proudest moment in my life maybe it will stay like that for the rest of my life but it's not just the Olympic gold which means so much but it's just the the way I've gone 
to get there really like for me the medal it's not just the medal but it's really the story behind it and all all the small races or maybe i won but nobody recognized it uh so yeah the medal is the reward for all that because this is a story that went way beyond our little cycling bubble um because this is the story of somebody who couldn't win gold but won gold um the, where do the reactions come from? From people, are they feeling inspired by what you did, for example? Yeah, so lots of people are inspired, and I find that very flat, flattering. So I get messages from people like, uh, yeah, students, many students, actually, many people with an academic background, so uh, uh, PhD students or postdocs, researchers, even university professors, to say that they it inspired them that just to see it is possible to do the two things and it just motivates them to get on their bike or go for a run. Uh. Yeah, th that must be really cool that you inspire other people yeah. to exercise as well because this process going into the gold medal has been a really scientific process, hasn't it? Yeah, it, it was a mix of uh, science and listening to my body. Um, my approach is always an analytical one. So, yeah, before I set out to train, I think about my training plan. I, I read the, the scientific literature about training science and so on. Uh, but many things in sports you just learn by trial and error. So now I've been in the endurance field like for 10 years uh, doing running, triathlon, cycling. I got to know my body. And in the end, it's a mix of reading papers and finding out what works for me is it of course you need a certain amount of talent for a endurance sport as well have you done other sports before taking up the bike yeah so actually i started with running but like any endurance freak i got injured and um <laughs> oh. yeah i finally ended up cycling was it was it love at first sight you and the bike yeah so um it was not like a a sudden thing to start it because uh, the bike had always been a means of transport for me so it was a gradual transition i was already using my bike to go to school to go to university to visit my family um so it was kind of natural when i couldn't run anymore um yeah i would just ride more uh, and i had always enjoyed it like yeah <laughs> it just uh, changed from being a means of transport to being um a competitive goal <laughs> But of course, competitiveness has always been in you, whether it's academic or, or sports related. It's, it's in your character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, of course, we are all watching this race on television on, on Saturday morning and our, our mouths go open even more. It's like, what is happening here? What was the kind of information? Now, first question is, how, do you, how did you wake up on race day? What was your, what was your feeling? Did you feel like somebody, people have this, like something special is going to happen today or is it just okay this is this is olympic day and it's going to be special no matter what yeah so i didn't feel that special i just felt good so i had a good night's sleep more or less which is something that is not uh, normal for me before race so i just felt good you know like uh, i knew yeah physically i was fit i was in the shape i wanted to be my training had gone super well i was prepared i had studied the course i had done everything i possibly could so um, it gave me a, a kind of self-confidence and also a certain calmness. Like I knew I had done everything that I could. So even if something goes wrong, it's not my fault. I have done everything I can. 
so yeah, I was quite self-confident, calm, uh, and feeling strong. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, I didn't, yeah, as I said, like I didn't feel special, but I knew like, yeah, all the ingredients were there to, yeah, have a good race. Yeah. And then, and the start line is there. Uh, of course, you've raced with some of these women, but uh, well, you don't come across as the kind of starstruck person. But are you looking around yourself and looking at all these athletes, or is it just in the in the focus straight away? Yeah, it's hard. So um, I've never been like the kind of person who thinks of like pro athletes as being a different. The species kind of so for me they're also like normal human beings but of course they're very strong physically so I did have a lot of respect also the week before here you're all the time surrounded by people who look super fit and they are all super lean and you <laughs> yeah I mean you start feeling a bit I don't like I don't know like normally like I'm much fitter than the people around me and suddenly you're like oh my god everybody's so fit and uh you start that, that's, like, that's kind, kind of, of yeah, that's the kind of feeling we have when we look at a peloton. Why is everybody so fit? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's it's a bit strange at first, and uh, and you start wondering, ah, oh, am I training enough? Uh, am I good enough? Uh, yeah, should I really be here? But I kind of was prepared for that, so I told myself, ah, Anna, you deserve to be here. Uh, and so also on race day, I I wasn't I wasn't like too self-conscious in the bunch i mean okay there's the world champion there is i don't know yeah all the world to riders okay yeah and i'm here too um so i didn't have any problems with that um i just focused on my routine uh, and that's it is, is it um yeah of course a scientific routine or is there also a little bit of um things in it a little bit of belief superstition going on before a race a lot of Athletes have a little bit of superstition, ah. a little bit of like mm. I need to tie my first my my right shoe first. Ah no, not really. So um, I just yeah, uh, I just have like a, a routine like about what I eat and so on, uh, any supplements I take. Um, so that's pretty standard. And then the, the mental part, like um, preparing myself for the race, yeah, like going through the mental plan. Uh, the nutrition plan or uh, yeah just thinking about what I want to do not starting to worry ah like I can see her she's doing that or something like you see the other teams and so on what they are doing and that's just not good to to worry about what they are doing am I missing out on something or so I try not to think about that kind of things uh, in the end oh, like yes sometimes you have time to kill and then I just l lie there and uh, close my eyes and listen to some music um, of course, you. Th there was a breakaway straight away. Was that also your game plan to be um, in the breakaway of the day? Because I've yes, read that exactly. you are are not too not too happy to be in a big peloton. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't like riding in the bunch, and so my plan A was to attack right away. Uh, and in case that uh, didn't work out, I actually planned to attack later on, uh, and. Yeah, so that would have been plan B. Uh, so any plan I had, it uh, kind of ended up with me like trying to get into a breakaway. <laughs> <laughs> plan B would be Smaller also plan A, but also but just later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I wrote down three kilometer marks where I was attacked. So plan A was attack at kilometer zero, 
plan B was attack at kilometer like 35 and plan C was attack at kilometer 70. So there were three plans. And, and then, of course, we, we have this group and, okay, I didn't wake up for the start of the race, uh, but I wake up at six in the morning or something and I read we have a, a breakaway with a 12-minute lead. And I was like, this never happened before. When, when was that moment that you thought this is extreme, what's happening here? Uh, I have very little experience, actually, with uh, this kind of races or like uh, women's uh, professional races in general. I saw that the men's breakaway, they had a big gap the day before. So it didn't strike me as unusual, but it seems that it's very unusual in the women's race. And of course, our race was much shorter. So, yeah, it was quite a big gap. Um, yeah, to be honest, I was a bit surprised that they would let it grow that much. On the other hand, people are actually riding quite well. So, I mean... We were, uh, we were maybe not the standard like breakaway, you know, like of, of riders who are really just there to show donation, but we were pretty strong. I mean, you had you have Anna Plichter, myself, even if I'm not known, I'm physically strong. I'm a really good time trialist. Uh, and Omar Shapira, who is also strong. So, yeah, it was a bit of a mix of being underestimated and, yeah, and, yeah being very strong. So the others not doing anything and, and ourselves riding quite well. When is that moment in that in that race? And of course, you've been asked this before that you really think I'm just going to win this race. Or is, when did that yeah. moment came come? Mm, um, I was kind of so I, I couldn't. It's hard. Like when I first got asked the question, I said, like, I couldn't uh, believe it uh, until after I crossed the finish line. And then actually thinking about it, I was kind of playing with the thought when I attacked my breakaway group. So we were the three and on this uh, last uh, short incline, I attacked my breakaway. And actually, I think that it was there that I kind of started to play with the thought of, yeah, of, of actually winning it. Um, and yeah, oh. <laughs> but it was still a long way to go. Is, is there, because you seem like a very, um, a person who thinks through everything, is it also a way to think through the pain? Because it must have hurt a lot. How do you cope with that? So the first step is to prepare for it. So I knew in advance I was going to hurt. Uh, I didn't really prepare for a 40 kilometer individual time trial. I, you know, like, I mean, no one expected that to happen, but I was prepared to suffer. And so you're, you're thinking in advance about, yeah, how you're going to behave when the pain strikes and it's going to strike sooner or later. Uh, um, actually, like the strategy, it's not so different from a hard training session. I mean, as an athlete, you deal with pain all the time. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I just have my strategies to, to help me through it, which involves sort of self, self-talk. Um, and yeah. <laughs> Is it like do you do you play mind games in your head? Uh, maybe do some some calculating, like okay, if I make it to thirty or if I make it to twenty five, what goes through your head if you are all alone and you try to get the highest what you can possibly get on in in that climate? Yeah, uh, of course, like yeah, a, kind of a splitting uh, the race or the distance that is left into pieces. It helps. So, so you, for example, there there were like two loops on the on the velodrome so uh yeah kind of divide and conquer principle uh and as you go like it helps me to think of people that inspire me to think of my family who is like in front of the tv watching 
um, my boyfriend, uh, and yeah, other athletes who are examples for me and whom I admire actually for their ability to suffer. So I take them as an example. Uh, can you uh, can you name an athlete that you really look up to? It's actually amateur athletes mostly. So uh, uh, I mean, I've always been a fan of Annemiek van Vleuten actually mm -hmm. <laughs> in the pro peloton. But otherwise, so for example, my, my boyfriend, he I, I find him really cool. It's a bit strange to say because you might listen. But <laughs> he, he really, uh, he, he's like uh, a really, really great athlete actually in his way to cope with challenges and to cope with pain and to do his training sessions no matter how much stress he has at work and so on. So almost making the most out of the, the opportunity and uh, yeah um, it's a bit funny but yeah it's mostly amateurs who inspire me just because I know them more so uh, Anna van der Plank she's an amazing athlete and I admired her I, I admire her but I don't know her so well no. so it's hard to yeah feel this connection Is it just going back to what you did or ha is, is, has something really changed? Yeah, it's like so one of these moments that you say my life changed at that moment and I'm just going to do something completely different now. Yeah, of course. I mean, it, the, the, the victory, it opened uh, up uh, like many opportunities and I'm not going to like decline all the opportunities uh, I have now. Uh, I will reduce at least uh, temporarily like my time at university. Uh, so until now I had a uh, full-time uh, uh, full job. And I will reduce that just because right now um, all the aftermath of the race, it takes so much time uh, dealing with yeah, interviews, sponsors, management, etc. And yeah, um, I just needed that time and also just think for myself what I want to do and not rush it. Um, then, yeah, so uh, yeah, uh, um, this in summary means that I would have more time for cycling either in an active way or in a passive way. <laughs> Uh, yeah. and in terms of active cycling well this year I still have the European and World Championships uh, uh, on the time trial bike and I think then I will call it an end to the season just because I have uh, yeah, many other uh, many other things on my calendar that I have to do and I think I just wouldn't be able to train uh, and I think I just need some time off and yeah, think about where I want to go so uh, that's basically it. At first I thought I want to do more things, but uh, it has taken a lot of energy from me, actually. Uh, the Olympics, training for it for so long and then all the stress afterwards. So I have to accept that. First I was a bit disappointed with myself. Oh, Anna, you're Olympic champion and now you, you're you not so motivated, actually, like right now. But now I accept it. I just need some time off and then, yeah, attack yeah. next year. <laughs> Yeah, because of course it's not only a physical victory, but it's also a mental thing that that you're not as well. Maybe I say anonymous as you were before uh, back home yeah. with your with your friends, and everybody needs something for you. That that's maybe a really difficult thing all of a sudden that everybody wants a piece of Anna. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So so much has changed, and I I just need some. Yeah, some calmness to really process it. Yeah, it's it's just. I think, is it that maybe the people around you are more amazed at what you did 
than yourself because you seem really down to earth about it. And you said, I'm not that sentimental about the medal. Is it just, yep. is it just one thing off the, the bucket list? Um, well, there might be a reason that it's just I have done so many small races for which I prepared extremely well. I sacrificed just as much or almost as much as for the Olympics. And you don't get a, an Olympic gold medal for it. You work just as hard. And I know many amateur athletes who work just as hard or, or in a comparative way. I, I can't like really compare always who is working harder, but the same spirit, you know, um, mm -hmm. same sacrifices. Uh, and so it feels a bit strange for me, all the smaller races I've done, which meant the world to me and nobody mm -hmm. saw it. <laughs> and now no. doing the same thing uh, for Tokyo. I, I just did the same thing as I did for any Grand Fondo. And uh, I do my best on race day, just as I did for the last Grand Fondo. And in the end, I walk away as, as an Olympic champion and I have my mailboxes overflowing and people are like, oh, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And there was like the essence of it wasn't that different from the last hobby race I did. Yeah, I, I hope yeah, you understand. I, 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 of I, course, I, I was. Uh, it's, I it's something yeah. special and so on, but that really the essence, the main principle, the, the preparation, uh, it was yeah. not that different. <laughs> the road, the road towards was exactly the same as a smaller race. Yeah, the outcome yeah. is a little bit bigger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, maybe you work a bit harder for Olympics, like you know, the last weeks, and you, oh yeah, it's the Olympics, so you push a bit harder. But I have always been a perfectionist. I always trained uh, in the, yeah, in the way that I seemed perfect to me. So I never made any compromises. No, is 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 it maybe in the end that you you want to share this this knowledge and this passion with with young people or in in in, in other capacity? Yeah, so maybe for the future that that uh, would be uh, a goal for me. Um, right now, I'm still in in mathematics, so I don't want to lose the connection uh, with the university as for now. But yeah, in the future, who knows? Like, uh, if I don't want to do maths my whole life, um, I might actually think about yeah, coaching or working on other aspects in cycling that involve kind of um, yeah, um, innovation, like also thinking about equipment and so on. Yeah, there's, there's also still a lot to discover in that field. Yeah. And always keep learning. That's, uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's the way I am. There's yeah. so much more still to learn. And I think that people will maybe listen to an Olympic gold medal winner a little bit better than somebody else. So you yeah, can always, it's you can funny, always play yeah, that card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, now the authority bias works in my way, works in my yeah. favor. <laughs> I am right because I am Olympic champion. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it's funny. Like on the on the forums in the internet, like when I when I asked the question or said something before Olympic gold, they wouldn't listen. And now, if I were to write something, it would be, "Oh, she's Olympic champion. She says that, so it must be right." Yeah. Well, it will always be a very special day, and of course, so the story yeah. um, went way beyond uh, cycling, and it was an inspiration to many people. And I think yeah. you can be really proud of that. Yeah, that's it's really great. Cool. The inspiration that you gave a lot of people, young and old, by what you did on that day in Tokyo. So thank you very much for that. Um, have you. a great day <laughs> and uh, good luck with the math and uh, who knows uh, what will happen in the future. It probably will be bright. <laughs> thank you and enjoy your spa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ciao. Thanks.